If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open it up to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, we'll be looking at verses 17 through 30 today as I preach to you on the subject, the Father and the Son. You can find your place in God's Word or you can follow along uh, with the verses on the screen behind me. We're going to look at this passage of Scripture and read it in three sections because there's three big ideas that I want you to have ingrained in your brain that are attached to those three sections of this particular Scripture. But before we begin looking at these verses today, allow me to just share a couple of thoughts with you to introduce the main idea of this message. God is indeed a good, good Father to all who come to Him through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. While God is fatherlike in His attitude toward all people, he is only truly a father to those who come to him in faith through his son, Jesus Christ. God is a good, good father. But if you have not come to him in faith through his son, Jesus Christ, God is not your father. God wants to be your father. He longs to be your father. But you must come to him in faith through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so my hope and prayer is that you truly do know God as your Father this Father's Day. And here's the main idea I want to share with you in this sermon today. When you believe in Jesus as God's Son, you have God as your Father. When you believe in Jesus as God's Son, you know God as your Father. Now let's take a look at John chapter 5. We'll start with verses 17 and 18. But Jesus answered them, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill Him, because He not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was His Father, making Himself equal with God. The first idea I want you to notice in verses 17 through 18 is the divine nature of the Father and the Son. Just before this verbal exchange between Jesus and the jealous Jews, Jesus healed a man at the pool of Bethesda. What's important to understand about that miraculous healing is that Jesus performed this healing on the Sabbath day. Jews honored the Sabbath day as a day of worship and rest. They were commanded by God to do this in the Old Testament. In fact, number four of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 and 10, is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, 
You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. It's pretty clear, isn't it? No work on the seventh day. God gave this command to his people in the Old Testament. And he gave the reason behind the commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he hallowed it, or he honored it. He set it apart as different from the others. One of the actions that was not allowed on the Sabbath day, according to Jeremiah 17, 21 through 22, was carrying or bearing a load. You couldn't pick up something and take it from one place to another as an act of work. You were supposed to rest. Carrying a load is the opposite of resting. And this is why there was friction between Jesus and the Jews after Jesus healed the lame man. You remember what Jesus told that lame man when he healed him. I say to you, rise, pick up your pallet, and go home. When the Jews met this lame man who could now walk, he was carrying a load. And it was the Sabbath day, and it caused an uproar. After all, who was this man who had disregarded the Lord by not honoring the Lord's day? Jesus gave an answer to their rebuke in verse 17. Using their own understanding of how the Father continued working. In the biblical creation account in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, we read, Thus the heavens and the earth and all of the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which he had created and made. The Jewish rabbis had long taught that God finished his creative work in six days, and that the seventh day he rested That is, he ceased from making anything else new. What the Jewish rabbis taught and thought is that though God rested from his work of creation, he had to in some way continue working because he is the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. So though he rested and ceased from creating anything new, he had to continue Working to keep everything turning and moving. In other words, God rested from his creative work, but he continued to ensure that everything he had made was working just as it should. Some of you farmers may be familiar with this. Even when you're not on the farm, you're still a farmer, right? You might not be working hands in the dirt, but you have still ensured that the processes that need to take place to maintain the growth of your crops are taking place, even when you're sitting here this morning. You fathers and mothers are familiar with this too. You might not have your hands on your children at the moment, but there is never a time when you are not a parent if you're a parent. The responsibility is always there. Even when we don't see it, God is working. He never stops working. 
He's never not working, right? It wasn't that Jesus' explanation was erroneous that made the Jews more upset. It was the fact that Jesus' explanation hinged upon the truth that Jesus was the Son of God who could continue working just as the Father had continued working that made them upset. Jesus interpreted the work, the will, and the words of God. And that made the Jewish leaders mad. When Jesus called God His Father and said that He was working as His Father had been working, He equated Himself with the one true God. And that's why the Jewish leaders wanted to kill Him. This idea is important to understand about Jesus. Because if you don't understand the divine nature of Jesus, you really don't understand who Jesus is. He is God's Son. And as the Son of God, He is God the Son. I am a Ginrich. Like it or not, I'm a Ginrich. There's not many of us. So if we ever have a last name published in the newspaper, better or worse, it's probably my family. Okay? Hopefully it's not worse, but it's probably us. My children bear the name Ginrich. They have that name because they have come from me. Jesus walked on this earth bearing the name of God because he was God's son, God in human flesh. He had the nature of God within him because he himself was God. God the Son. This idea bothers some people today. It bothers people who aren't even Jewish. It bothers people who don't care anything about resting on Saturday. And how many of you mowed your grass yesterday? The Jewish people would have stoned you guys, man. Me too. We wouldn't have been here. It bothers people because if Jesus is truly God, then His work his will, and His words are divine. And when He does something, when Jesus directs something, or when He dictates that we do something, and we don't like it, we're either forced to submit ourselves to this divine Jesus, or to rebel against this divine Jesus. Whenever you say no to Jesus Christ, you are saying no to God the Father. Jesus is divine in His nature. And therefore we are to say yes to Him regardless of what we thought about God prior to encountering Jesus. In John chapter 14 verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There is only one God. And there's only one way to God. And that is through His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He sent. The divine nature of the Father and the Son is important. When you believe in Jesus as God's Son, you know God as your Father. I have three sons, if you did not know. I also have two daughters. But I'm going to pick on my boys this morning since it's Father's Day. Hopefully they're going to be fathers someday too. They don't kill each other before they get to that point in life. My youngest son, Nason, just turned five a couple of weeks ago. 
June 1st is his birthday. It's hard to believe, isn't it, Miss Dolores? Five years old already. He starts kindergarten this fall. And just like our other kids, we've been praying that Nason would come to know Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. So yesterday, in the middle of mowing the yard, I had to take a break, get a drink of water. I sat down on the front porch, and Stephanie and Nason came walking outside. And she said, hey, Nason wants to talk to you. I said, okay. I said, Nason, what do you want to talk about? And you know, in his little five-year-old way, kind of kicking his feet, not making eye contact, he said, I, I want to talk about being a Christian. I said, okay. And he's had several conversations with his mom at this point. And Stephanie's done a wonderful job, just like she has with our other kids, teaching him the truth of God's Word, what it means to follow Jesus. And so I explained to Nason as best that as, as I could that being a Christian means that you believe in Jesus and that you follow Him as your Lord. That's all it means. It means you believe in Jesus and you follow Him as your Lord. And we talked for a good while on that front porch. And I asked Nason a question in the middle of our conversation. Because Nason also wants to know, how do you get to heaven? And so we talked about that. Only Christians get to go to heaven. Only Christians get to go to heaven because Christians are people who have believed in Jesus and who have followed Him as their Lord. Jesus is the only way to the Father. The Father is in heaven. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Makes sense, right? So I told Nathan, I said, buddy, when you die, you go to one or of two places. You either go to heaven with God as your Father, or you go to hell and you're separated from God forever because He's not your Father. Nason knows at this point, I'm not a Christian yet. So I said, Nason, if something were to happen to you now and you were to die, where would you go? He kind of hem-hawed around a little bit. But then he answered the question, well, I, I would go to hell. Why? Because I'm not a Christian. You might think, Jake, that's terrible. Why would you teach your kids that? Because I don't want my kids to go to hell. I don't want them to be separated from God for eternity. And listen to me. Cute little Johnny and precious little Susie, when they can understand what sin is, when they can understand salvation, they are responsible before the Lord God for their lives. And they need to know that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for their sins and that He was buried and that He rose again. And that the only way they can go to heaven when they die is if they place their faith in Jesus and follow Him as Lord. You got it? They need to know that. I think that children, until they are able to understand sin and salvation and confess Jesus as Lord, are kept safe in the arms of the Father. That they're protected and they're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. But listen to me. If little five-year-old Nason is smart enough, smart enough to smart off to me and to his mom, he's smart enough to understand what sin is. He's smart enough to understand what salvation is. And he's smart enough to understand that there's a Savior who wants to save him. And so when we had this conversation on the front porch yesterday, it was a moment of realization for him. Really, it's a moment of realization for Stephanie and I too. We have a child who is understanding, oh, I don't just get to go to heaven, 
because my brothers and sisters are going to heaven. I don't just get to go to heaven because God loves me. I have to believe in Jesus and follow him. And there are a lot of you here this morning who don't truly believe in Jesus. You don't follow him as Lord. You think you're going to get to heaven because you're a nice person. You think you're going to get to heaven because you have been a church member at First Baptist with your name on the roll for a long time. Folks, that's not what gets us to heaven. It's only faith in Jesus Christ that gets us there. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So if you want to protest to me, that's fine. I'm just going to tell you, you got an issue with Jesus because Jesus is the one who said it. We need to come back to the understanding that Jesus is divine in nature and that what he says goes. I hope that some of you sitting here this morning too, as fathers or grandfathers or uncles or moms or grandmothers or leaders in the youth group or teachers at Vacation Bible School next week, have kind of gotten this settled in your heart too. There is a whole flock of kids and youth that enter through our church doors every week that need to know there is a Savior who died on the cross for their sins because there's a God in heaven who loves them enough to send His Son to die on the cross so that they could be forgiven of sins and experience eternal life with the Father in heaven. That's why we're here. That's why we do all of these ministries. So that people can come to know God is their Father through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And then we continue on in verses 19 through 21. We've seen the divine nature of the Father and the Son. Now I want you to notice the divine power of the Father and the Son. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself but what He sees the Father do. For whatever He does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself does. And He will show Him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. I want you to notice the divine power of the Father and the Son in these three verses. The Jewish people might have gotten mad at Jesus thinking, well, if you call in yourself equal with God, that means you can do whatever you want to do. But Jesus said, no, let, let me explain. I don't do whatever I want to do. I do whatever the Father wants me to do because he and I are one. He sent me to this earth to tell you the truth and to perform these miracles. That's why I'm saying these things to you. And that's why I'm doing these things so that you can see and hear that God is real. That he lives through me and in me. These works testified of Jesus' divine power. He had just made a lame man walk again. Let me ask you this question. And if you raise your hand, we're going to equate your IQ with Gunner's IQ, okay? 
Have any of you ever made a lame man walk again? Either that or you're a neurosurgeon, right? I mean, it's the only two options. None of us have been able to do that. Jesus did. But Jesus went on to say that he would do greater works than just making lame people to walk. In fact, he did a greater work when he healed that lame man. Because he didn't just help him walk physically, he helped him to walk in the truth so that he could walk into eternity with a relationship with the Father in heaven. When Jesus said that he would raise the dead, that he would give life to them, he's not just speaking of physical miracles that he would perform. In John chapter 11, he would call dead Lazarus out of his tomb. A dead man would come back to life. But Jesus is not just talking about a physical resuscitation. Jesus was also talking about giving life to those who are spiritually dead. So let me follow up that conversation that I had with Nason with conversation that I've had with my oldest son, Mordecai. A few years ago, Mordecai, who is now 10, that's hard to believe right there. Mordecai, who is now 10 and going into fifth grade this fall, he and I and Stephanie and him, we've had multiple conversations. He decided to give his life to Jesus Christ. The message of salvation is so simple that a child can understand it. And really it takes childlike faith to come to Jesus in the first place anyways. So Mordecai placed his faith in Jesus Christ. He believed that Jesus died for his sins, was buried, and rose again. And he decided to name Jesus Lord of his life. Do you know what happened in that moment? In that moment, my child, Mordecai, my son, who was spiritually dead in his trespasses and sins was made alive in Jesus Christ. All of those who place their faith and trust in Jesus are made alive spiritually the moment they believe in Him. It's not that God wants us to be separated from Him forever. It's not that God wants us to die in our sins. It's not that God wants us to experience eternity in hell. It's that God wants to give us life and He gives us life when we profess faith in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus has the ability to bring life to people who are dead in their trespasses and in their sins. Understand, if we were just sick with sin, maybe there's spiritual medicine we could take to get better. But the Bible doesn't say that we're sick with sin. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And just like none of you could make a lame man walk, so none of you, myself included in this, none of us can make a spiritually dead person alive again. Only God can do that. But Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. And He can do that. The evidence that points to that fact is not only Lazarus' resurrection from his tomb in John chapter 11, but also Jesus' resurrection from His own tomb. Jesus Christ, who was crucified on the cross and buried in a tomb... 
three days after he was buried in that tomb, got up and walked out. This is the divine power of God at work in his son. And then I want you to notice in verses 22 through 30, the divine authority of the father and the son. The divine authority of the Father and the Son. Look at verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in Him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself, and has given Him authority to execute judgment also, because He is the Son of Man." Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of of the Father who sent me. Now there are some huge theological truths packed into all of those sentences that Jesus stated. We don't have time to unpack every word and to explain in detail all that He was explaining to those people that day. But we do note this. The Father has given His Son divine authority to execute and carry out judgment. There is a day coming that every single person will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will either say, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy that has been prepared for you. Or he will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. Those are the, thing, the only two things Jesus is going to say to you. And it's dependent upon whether or not you've come to faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want you to pay careful attention to what Jesus said in verse 29. Jesus did not say that people who do good works are going to get to go to heaven through their good works. And that people who go to hell, who are evil, are going to have to be there because God doesn't love them. When Jesus said that those who have done good will receive the resurrection of life, He means that the fruit of good works is based in the root of faith in Him. In other words, if you truly have faith in Jesus and follow Him, you are going to do good works. Okay, You're not saved by your works, but when you're saved, you do good works. Therefore, those who do good works by faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ, go to heaven. You don't go to heaven by your good works. You go to heaven by God's grace and faith in His grace. Faith in His grace produces good works that are evidence of the reward that you're going to receive. And those who go to hell do not go to hell unloved. Evil people have the opportunity to be saved from their sins through faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. All of us have done evil. 
All of us deserve hell and separation from God. But God loved us enough to send His Son to die on the cross in our place. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated His love in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The one and only Father sent His one and only Son to the enemies of Himself. While we were enemies of God, opposed to His will, living in sin, Christ died for us so that we might become the children of God. I don't know if you paid attention uh, when my kids roll in here on Sunday morning. Sometimes it's kind of comical, and it's really a distraction to worship, to be honest with you. But every once in a while, amidst that distraction and noise and craziness from my kids, the Lord teaches me a lesson. When my kids come in here on Sunday morning, they'll usually pack that second pew. We're good Baptists. We have assigned pews, and they're not even assigned, right? All of you guys sit in the same spot just about every week. You know it. My kids will walk in here to that second pew, and if you'll pay attention, Branch will sit as close to the edge of that pew as he can. Now, I'm about ready to put my name on that seat just so he'll scoot over a little bit. But here's what I've come to find out. Branch sits as close to the end of that pew as he possibly can because he wants to sit next to me. He wants to sit next to his father. He wants to be with his dad. I love that kid. And he loves me. Listen to me. God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to bring you near to Him. Jesus Christ wants to get all up in your business and invade your life because He has so much better to offer you than you've been living for yourself. And Jesus Christ wants to bring you into close fellowship with the Father in heaven. And He has the authority to do that. I don't think Jesus is going to get any joy from uttering those words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. But I think Jesus is going to have true joy when he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You're a child of the King. Come on in. You're home. You're with the Father. You're with me for all of eternity. Just like my son Branch wants to just about pile up on top of me in a pew on Sunday morning. God longs for a relationship with you. Do you long for a relationship with the Lord like that? To be close and near to Him all the time. Those who come to God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, have God as their Father in heaven. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? As we come to the end of the sermon this morning, I just want to ask you to respond to the Lord as He's spoken to your heart today. Maybe you're here this morning and you know that God is Father in heaven. In fact, you may have even uttered His name as Father when you've prayed to Him in the past. But the truth is, here and now this morning, you've come to realize you don't really know God as your Father. 
Because you've never truly trusted that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose again. You've not truly turned the reins of your life over, him, over to Him so that He could reign in your life. So that He could be your Lord and your Savior. Don't let this Father's Day pass you by without knowing that God is your Father in heaven. All you have to do, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead. And you'll be saved. To confess Jesus is Lord means you give everything to Him. You let Him take over your life. To believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead means that you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried in a tomb and that He rose again from the third day according to the Scriptures. If you have faith in Jesus, you follow Him. God will be your Father in heaven for all of eternity. Maybe you're here this morning and God is your Father and you know it. But somebody around you doesn't know God is your Father in heaven. Maybe one of your children, your grandchildren, maybe a student in your class, maybe a teammate that you play football with. It may be somebody you went to camp with last week. It may be a kid coming to vacation Bible school next week. It may be a neighbor down the street. It may be somebody you work with every day. Maybe you need to pray for that person right now to come to know God as their Father in heaven through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. I'll be standing down here in the front during the song of invitation. If you need to speak with me, please do. If I can pray for you in any way or pray with you in any way, I'd love to. This altar's open if you just need to come and kneel before God in prayer. He'll hear you. As God calls you, as your Father speaks to your heart, would you come to Him as His child today?